Dr. McCullough is an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, holding degrees from Baylor University, University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, University of Michigan, and Southern Methodist University. He published his first detoxification approach entitled Clinical Rationale for SARS-CoV-2 Base Spike Protein Detoxification in Post-COVID-19 and Vaccine Injury Syndromes in the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. He has dozens of peer-reviewed publications on the infection and has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis on The Hill, American Out Loud, Fox News Channel, you name it, he's been everywhere. And he was one of the first to speak out, and I really appreciated that. Uh, Dr. McCullough testified several times in U.S. Senate, European Parliament, Texas Senate Committee on Health and Human Services, Arizona Senate, House of, Represent- House of Representatives, and many others. We don't even have time to mention his resume. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough, so glad to have you on. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm I'm really glad to have you. We have a lot of questions from our audience for you, too, and I can't wait to hear your responses to some of these things. One woman wrote in to me. She said, "Um, my husband was diagnosed recently with amyloid disease, which has caused his art walls to thicken, and it inhibits its ability to pump. He started having heart issues about five months after he had the shot, starting with arrhythmia and blood clots, and the cardiologist was unable to determine a cause um, until he finally landed up north in a different hospital. He was finally diagnosed with amyloid disease with no prior heart disease, no high blood pressure, no high cholesterol, no blockages, zero. Clean bill of health. Until he got that shot five months later, he has this. Are you seeing a lot of amyloid disease? Amyloid is a, a abnormal folding of a protein. The SARS-CoV-2 spike protein produced by the vaccines clearly folds and forms amyloid-like protein structures in some people. And it is responsible for the rubbery amyloid blood clots that we see, the very large ones mm-hmm. removed at the time of uh, autopsy or postmortem examination. There's one paper by the FDA, uh, Wu is uh, first author, W-O-O, with, with the Janssen vaccine, describing these blood clots in people reported to them, uh, thousands of blood clots with J&J, and they're reporting blood clots extending from the ankle to the hip, huge ones. Normally, a blood clot we see in medicine is only about a centimeter, no more than an inch size. We've never seen blood clots this, and this is the FDA reporting this to us, uh, 11% were fatal. Now, cardiac amyloidosis is when the protein actually sufficiently deposits in the heart. The heart becomes hard, rubbery. It doesn't fill normally, and patients develop heart failure. So this constellation of blood clots, arrhythmias, and in cardiac amyloidosis, yes, it sounds like the vaccines in aggregate. But let me tell you this. Before COVID, okay, Mm -hmm. there's always been cardiac amyloidosis. So I want people to, to learn about this. There is an early form of it that's hereditary. It always starts with a neuropathy, so numbness and tingling in the hands and feet first, and then the cardiac amyloid sets in. It affects other organs in the body, Mm -hmm. like the liver, the tongue, um, the other, uh, the intestinal organs, uh, and that is a, a familial type of amyloidosis. It can be detected by um, genetic testing, mm-hmm. genetic testing. Okay. Uh, there is a senile form of cardiac amyloidosis that forms in very old people, and that tends to primarily involve the heart first as opposed to the nerves. Uh, and we can also test that by biopsy. Hmm. The most common, there's about 32 proteins in the body that fold and make amyloid proteins. The most common one is called transthyretin, 
also known as prealbumin. So when people get uh, a diagnosis of amyloid, always ask for a biopsy and have them, and find out what protein is it. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, you actually want to stain for the spike protein, but in this case, I'd get a biopsy. They can biopsy the heart. Many times, just biopsy the tongue, believe mm, it or not. Interesting. It's very uh, you know in innocuous biopsy. Stain for the spike protein, stain for uh, you know all the other proteins. There's typically an amyloid stain that's done, and, it, and you can basically make a diagnosis. Uh, we now do simple genetic testing for the, um, the mutations that, uh, that are associated with the familial amyloid. It's important because if this is related to the vaccine, it's, it's really water under the bridge, we'll treat it. If it's related to a familial cause, then other family members would want to know. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be more diagnostic work. Have you seen an increase since the shots were um, doled out? We certainly have. Certainly the amyloidogenic blood clots. Um, and uh, there is some hope, by the way. People always ask about therapy. And you mentioned detoxification. We're currently using natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin in combination as a base. And mm. we start at low doses and we can accelerate uh, you can find this on my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com, two peer-reviewed papers. But there's a, a third paper that I published with Stephanie Sunoff as first author, and we bring in another product that probably works, but we don't have the clinical data for it yet. It's called Sereptase or Serapeptase. It's another form of an oral enzyme. The unique thing is that actually may uh, penetrate into the brain where natokinase doesn't. And we're worried about amyloid plaques in the brain in mm. progression of neurodegenerative diseases like uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Wow. You were very outspoken in the beginning. Have colleagues come to you privately to say you were right, apologize anyway, say they've changed their minds? Have you, have you, because ha I know you got, you got some fierce blowback in the very beginning. Um, how has it changed for you over the course of this last two years? I have. I've actually had a colleague today, have you, really? you know, after like four years, didn't hear anything <laughs> And it was a congratulations on a recent paper published. First author is Mead. I'm the senior author. But it is a fully peer-reviewed, very extensive paper that concludes the vaccine should be pulled off the market. And he was just texting me before I came on. How are you? Like, well. you know, hasn't heard from me in four years. Well, mm. you know, I, I think people will come along. But the example I'm using, I have a substack out on this. People say, well, how can doctors be so wrong in these vaccines for so long? Because it's been mm -hmm. three years. I said, wait a minute. Let's pick some other examples. Smoking. From the, the first note of any doctor, a solid doctor noting smoking causing problems, like an obvious problem like lung cancer, was in 1912. European physician Sir Austin Bradford Hill in 1950, you know, published an entire treatise on this, you know, conclusively concluding that smoking caused lung cancer. Now, let me tell you, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, doctors, nurses, were not only smoking, they were advertising smoking. They mm. were promoting smoking. Right. Doctors and nurses, not just the doctors, doctors and nurses. This went all the way up until the tobacco settlement in 1999. And over time, finally the messaging came through, but it was commonplace to smoke in the hospital, smoke in the operating room. Mm -hmm. And the emperor of all maladies which is written by Mukherjee, who's a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute uh, fellow, you know, won a Pulitzer Prize, great book. He describes the lead cancer, lung cancer surgeon for, for Harvard removing lung cancers and smoking at the same time, oh my telling the students and the residents that no, smoking was not the cause of lung cancer. He himself died of lung cancer because he smoked. 
unbelievable. So listen, doctors are taking the vaccine. They are getting blood clots. They are getting myocarditis. I know because I'm seeing them in my office, but they are still in this phase, just like with smoking. Let's hope it doesn't take 40 years. It's been three years of a disaster. I'm with you. You said uh, in a previous interview, 25% of Americans refused the COVID jab. Is that now kind of an official number, about 25% then refused? Yeah, that was the COVID Community States program, which was a survey uh, where, where you know, it had the features. Like it was anonymous. Mm-hmm. People weren't going to be harmed if they said yes or no. It was done by Harvard and Northeastern University. We think it's pretty solid. But I checked the CDC website the other day. You know what they're saying? They're okay. saying 95% of people took a vaccine. 95. And, no and the COVID States program criticizes the CDC and says, you know what, the CDC was double counting. If people lost their vaccine card, they just started them as a new patient. They double counted them. So the CDC has a lot of sloppy statistics. Mm. And, um, you know, when I when I talk to people, and I've, I've given over 200 public programs to people in the office, to me, it resonates that about, about 25% didn't take it and 75% did. I'd be curious to see what your listeners yeah. Yeah, think. for sure. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> the 25% who didn't take the vaccine, they seem far more concerned about vaccine side effects than the 75% who did take the vaccine. Isn't it interesting? That is. That's fascinating. Oh, it just shows that we are uh, sheep. I, I don't know what else to say. We just kind of, uh, yeah, you're I right, mean, though. I, I, I talk about vaccine side effects all the time. Of course, I'm a doctor and mm-hmm. I'm seeing these patients in the office. But I don't have any worries about having <laughs> vaccine side effects because I didn't take it. Right. I mean, I sleep right. okay at night. You'd think the vaccinated would be the ones up at night saying, listen, what did I do? Is this a problem? Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear a lot more concern about vaccine safety from the unvaccinated compared to the vaccinated. That's amazing. I didn't even think about it that way. You're right. Uh, as far as the shots go, a lot of people have a question about this particular thing. They got the first shot. They maybe got the Johnson & Johnson or they got one shot but they didn't do the boosters. Is there any evidence so far that doing the one shot was not as bad as doing all the boosters? Was the danger in the booster shots? What, what's your take on this? There are no cumulative toxicity studies, meaning, you know, once the first, it was called primary series, shot one and shot two were studied, there never were any studies to say, well, is shot three and four and five, do they add up? Do they create more toxicity? For most drugs, and most shots, the more you take, if there's a safety problem, the greater the harm. It's never been done. Um, my suspicion is there is a cumulative toxicity. In the published literature, the the general vein of what we're seeing is what's called the Russian roulette theory, that you do one, you do fine with shot one, shot two, shot three, and all of a sudden shot four, boom, get myopericarditis or have a fatal event at shot three or four. Um, and that may have to do with the fact that it doesn't look like all the shots are the same. The vials differ, the safety of each vial differ depending on the lot. So if one got, you know, an easy lot, an easy lot, nothing, nothing, also got a dangerous lot, that's how this Russian roulette theory plays out. But there's enough cases where the fatal event occurs on shot five or six to make us conclude that there is no safe patient profile. I mean, one of my patients told me, Dr. McCullough, uh, you know, if they come out with another booster, I'm going to take it. I said, gosh, you know, are you sure that's, you know, I was kind of worried about Mm -hmm. it. She goes, well, no, he goes, she goes, I know other people have side effects, but no, they don't bother me. Wow. Uh, Be careful (laughs) on that one, because it may be that 
she got, you know, relatively safe vials on the first mm-hmm. four and all of a sudden, you know, we'll get right. a lethal one. And when you're getting the shot, you never know if, if you're getting a dangerous batch or not. Mm-hmm. That's the right. That's the concern over it. Um, but right now, if someone was following, uh, let's say a doctor or nurse, was following the government um, uh, protocol, we're coming up on shot number eight for that eight? person. I didn't shot even realize eight, that. Okay, in the United States. And uh, if one is immunocompromised, let's say they're on, um, let's say they've had a transplant, they could be coming up on shot 12. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize there's never, that we, you know, we've never given any vaccine for 12 shots. Uh, we've never given a genetic injection, a genetic therapy injection for anything. How would we possibly know? The concern is accumulation of genetic material that the body doesn't clear out and then continued production of the spike protein, this toxic lethal portion of the spike protein that looks like it accumulates in the body. And a paper by Brogna and colleagues shows that about half of people who took a Pfizer or Moderna have circulating spike protein in their bloodstream for six months. And then you take another shot, there's going to be more circulating spike protein. And the spike protein circulating in human blood cannot be healthy. Are the same ingredients in each shot, are they getting the same shot over and over again in the boosters? We don't think so. The shots have never been expected for the quantity of messenger RNA. Now, I saw inspections of the messenger RNA vaccines by the FDA in 2022. And you know what they inspected them for? In the report, in the official kind of FOIA release documents, they inspected them for visible impurities. (laughs) Basically, crud in the vials. That's what they were inspected for. They didn't open the vials and test how much messenger RNA is in there. They didn't open the vials to see if uh, the lipid nanoparticles were aggregating or not. And they certainly didn't test for process-related Im- DNA impurities. And this has been the big news. Four labs have found that there are small DNA fragments contaminating the vials. And some of these DNA fragments are known cancer promoters called SV40. So this is such a big deal. There are two peer-reviewed uh, preprint manuscripts uh, there that are awaiting peer review, one by Spiegler, the other one by McKernan, so you can review the data yourself. Uh, Dr. Joe Ladapo synthesized all the information. He wrote the CDC and FDA and said, looks like there are impurities in Pfizer and Moderna. And the FDA and CDC wrote him back and said, nope, we're not worried about this. And that's wow. when Surgeon General Joe Ladapo said, enough's enough. I'm calling for these to be pulled off the market. And here you have a cancer-causing agent. Yes? Potentially. Potentially. Now, it's simian virus 40. The simian virus 40, so people know, is used uh, to ramp up the duplication of the plasmid, the DNA, little circles of DNA that are inserted within E. coli. And as E. coli divide, the SV40 keeps ramping up production. The, the, the little circle of DNA produces the Pfizer-Moderna messenger RNA. This is called process two. Before they were making naked RNA, which is very expensive and slow, this ramping up and having E. coli crank it out is very efficient. Now, with SV40, simian virus 40, there's a promoter, an enhancer, and what's called an origin of insertion. If there are known cancer genes in someone... I was just going to ask you this, yes? Right, so someone's Mm -hmm. carrying a cancer gene, and then they get a sufficient load of SV40, promoter enhancer, and then the insertion part, theoretically, it's possible for these to directly cause cancer. Wow. 
Now, if there is cancerous cells in the body, let's say somebody's in remission, mm -hmm. but there's a few uh, cancerous cells in the body, it's theoretical that these could take up these DNA fragments and then reactivate the cancer or really make it recur. And that's the reason why the term turbo cancer has come up. Yes, a lot turbo of cancer. even younger. And so the, right? Yeah, the very first case of a turbo cancer was published. The first uh, author is Kara Goklas. I'm the senior author in the peer-reviewed literature, and it's a man from Greece who probably had a parotid basaloid cell cancer that was lurking. And uh, sure enough, he takes a messenger RNA vaccine. Within four days, he starts to get pain. And then this cancer starts to take off. It invades his facial nerve and his trigeminal nerves, causes a Bell's palsy, rapidly invades his brain and kills him. And this is well chronicled, and it may be the very first case of turbo cancer. Now, did it cause the very first cancer cell? No, that's too fast. Five days. Mm -hmm. It was probably there, mm -hmm. and then it took off. Uh, but, right. but this, you know, do you know cancer programs, let's say big centers like MD Anderson Cancer Research Center, encourage cancer patients to take these shots with no information on what genetic vaccines would do to underlying cancer. I mean, it was completely irresponsible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they do the same thing with uh, heart patients that have problems and stints and everything else and tell them to go and get the, these shots. Uh, we had a scientist on, and I can't remember who it was now that said this, but there were about 35 different recipes to the shots. Do you concur with that? You know, I'm not familiar with, quote, recipes, mm -hmm. um, but there may be, uh, you know, more variations, mm -hmm. in, at least in terms of safety risk. Now, I saw one schema where the lots were ordered from one, one to 168. So number one being the most lethal ones they found to 168 being the most benign. There's one publication by um, Schmeling and colleagues found 30% were completely benign. There's just nothing happens to them, not even a sore arm, nothing does happen. Uh, about another um, two thirds, uh, it's uh, some mild symptoms. And then the Schmeling data is 4.1% of all the doses or certain vials. And they actually listed the lot numbers in the paper mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that's where all the serious adverse events were and, and probably including the risk of death. And in the CDC vSafe data, it's interesting. It was 7.7% .7 of people who took a shot, got so sick, they had to go to the ER, hospital, or urgent care. So it's under 10% that we're really worried about. The problem is two-thirds of the world took these Right. And even if it's 4% or 10%, that's a large number of people. That's a huge number of people. 100%, yes. Um, what's the most damning piece of evidence? Is there one damning piece of evidence um, where you could just say, you just read this because I don't even have to talk to you about this anymore. Look at this piece of evidence. I'd say the best summary piece of evidence is the World Council for Health pharmacovigilance report and it was published in 2022 mm -hmm. it's very comprehensive it has every safety database in the world listed and they're all reporting record numbers of injuries disabilities and deaths it, it's so comprehensive and it's so conclusive it's not just the u.s system or mm -hmm. or the british system it, it's the totality of the data and the document concludes the vaccines must be pulled from the market now if somebody wants a document to take to their school district or take to their legislatures or what have you, that is a very solid one. The American parallel to that has been published by the um, uh, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. 
and it was in March of 2023, again, summarizing the data. It makes 10 points, 10 reasons why the vaccines are unsafe and they should be pulled off the market. Now we have, uh, if you want to follow a Twitter account, mm -hmm. follow Mary Tally Bowden, who's summarizing every day the number of candidates, the number of lawmakers in office, and uh, uh, and those calling for removal of the vaccines from the market. That number will only grow over time, but it's not speculation. It's not just my opinion or your opinion. Mm -hmm. These are worldwide and local bodies, you know, medical societies that are saying the vaccines are not safe. Pull them off the market. Thank you for that. I know you're you're speaking around the world. Are you seeing differences in other countries? I know our propaganda load here is so heavy that it's hard to see, even notice what's going on in other countries sometimes because our our controlled media tells us um, and doesn't tell us what's going on. Um, you're seeing, are you seeing stark differences, countries that are really leading out on this, on the truth? It's actually worse in other countries. Canada is way worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a Twitter poll and I asked people, I, I said, gosh, you know, who's, who's had seven shots? I mean, nobody, I don't have any patients have taken a seven. 9% of people said, yeah, we've taken. I said, well, who, who are these people? Right. They're Canadian healthcare workers. They still are going and going and going. You know, the shots are so dangerous that it's thought to be unethical to mandate someone to take a shot because they're so dangerous. Like you could be mandated to take a shot and die. You know, in Texas, the mandates are completely banned. Jeez. You're completely banned. So, so this is very important. So let's say Methodist Hospital says you have to take a shot. The ban says, no, you can't make somebody take a shot because the vaccines are so dangerous you could kill your employees. So, Amazing. but it's worse in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's worse in Australia. It's worse in New Zealand. You know, it's, 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 it's different. Other countries have just kind of moved on. I went to India last mm -hmm. year and they said, you know what, it, it, you know, a lot of the doctors said, honestly, they used, you know, and the people, they used fake vaccine cards. They just kind of slid through. They, mm -hmm. they kind of got through unvaccinated. They just moved on. They, India is such a crazy, chaotic place. I couldn't imagine them trying to keep track of anything, let alone force the vaccine on people. But right. Some countries have very strict electronic databases. Mm -hmm. They would just not let somebody come to work. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, listen, if these vaccines were safe and effective and good for you, they wouldn't be banned by Texas. They yeah. wouldn't have been lawsuits all over the place. The reason why there's lawsuits all over the place is because they're not safe and they're not effective and people have been harmed. Hey, guys, if you love this show, please follow this advice. Go text Birch 989898 and text my name, Kate. You're going to get some free information. It's super important. At least look it over. And uh, I would not be telling you this if I didn't honestly believe this would help you. Okay. They're going to help you with gold-backed security in the money you have out there. Okay. And also, should you unload your money? What should you do? And depending on your age, there's different things. So please go do that. Text 989898 and text my name, Kate. Thanks, you guys. Absolutely. I was pretty baffled by the fact that they had already started um, work on these shots uh, even before, even before they had named COVID. They kept calling it, it was a mystery. It was a mystery. It was a mystery. Knew nothing about it. Right. So they had to lock us all down. But that at that first go round at this shot, they nailed it. Now, as a doctor, have you ever seen that before? Where you did is that when you grew skeptical of the fact that now how are you guys nailing the shot as the the shot? first go around before they'd even figured out what whatever it was we were dealing with i still think it's the flu but but what, what did when did you get skeptical when did you start going now wait a second here well you know, august of 2020 mm. i published an op-ed in the hill you're talking to the only public figure in the world who put in writing in a prominently read 
journal. This is for the House, the Senate, and the White House. The title of my op-ed in August of 2020 is before the vaccines came out. It was called The Great Gamble of the COVID-19 Vaccine Program. Yes. And I laid it out. This was, you know, the, you know, to ins- to inject a, a genetic code for the first time. We've never used genetic injections. Everybody who took a Pfizer, Moderna, or Janssen and AstraZeneca took for their first time in their lives a genetic injection. It's never been done before. We had no idea what was going to happen. And then on top of that, the genetic code co- codes for a lethal protein that was engineered in a Chinese biosecurity lab. How long was the genetic code going to crank out the lethal protein? How much of the lethal protein? For how long? None of these questions were answered. And it turned out to be a disaster. We should never bring any product on the market when it has, it's such a dangerous proposition for people. Yes. COVID has uh, 98 symptoms. Is that the most symptoms you've ever seen attached to something before in your line mean, of work? Mean the, the illness itself? Yeah. Mean? Yeah. 98 yeah, symptoms. Well, well, it, you know, others, I mean, there's obviously Ebola and mm-hmm. dengue fever, what have you. To me, the most impressive thing about COVID, the illness, mm-hmm. was the blood clots. I've never seen an infection, and there's even mild cases of second and third COVID mm-hmm. where people develop blood clots, serious ones, no vaccine, hmm. no vaccine. Interesting. So, yeah. you know, I've been very impressed. Someone will say, gosh, I'm on my third case of COVID, and I got a huge blood clot in my leg. Hmm. So let me tell you what. COVID itself, we have to take it seriously. There's no doubt about it. It's still, even though it's a mild respiratory illnesses, the consequences afterwards are still significant. I, you know, I tell people, listen, we need a prevention strategy. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best daily prevention strategies is to use xylitol-based products. The data are stronger and stronger for this. Comes to different brand names, but one of them is called Clear, X-L-E-A-R, nasal spray. A spry, S-P-R-Y, the gargle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do a nasal spray and gargle twice a day. Mm-hmm. The spry gum or mints or Zelly's mints. I, right now I'm using Zelly's in my office. You can find xylitol, X-Y-L-O-T-O-L, xylitol. And how it works is so interesting. Uh, what it does is it promotes the good bacteria in the nose and mouth to fight off the bad bacteria and the viruses. So it favorably shifts the microbiome. It's a really intelligent strategy. This actually prevents uh, dental caries. It helps prevent sinusitis. It's been proven in randomized trials. There's randomized trials of the nasal spray preventing COVID. It's such an interesting strategy. Hmm. And, uh, uh, you you know, the the nasal sprays and gargles had terrific uh, data. When somebody's acutely ill, we switch over to the uh, iodine-based products. Mm-hmm. There have been 20 studies, 17 randomized trials, large prospective double-blind controlled trials showing convincing efficacy, like better mm-hmm. than a lot of oral drugs and vaccines. And uh, you know, well, this was coming along in early 2021, and, and I, I learned about this. I just didn't know this before COVID, how effective these were, because they work against COVID, the flu, the cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so useful. Nancy Mace, Republican congresswoman who later on got vaccine injured, Nancy Mace came on in 2021 and said, why is our government not telling us about nasal sprays? Why? Something so simple as that. And you know what I learned? Uh, I learned from uh, several company CEOs that the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and FDA tied up all these companies with legal proceedings and lawsuits and would not let them get their products out to sick people. 
Sounds a lot like the ivermectin thing. Um, geez. What do you have to say about ivermectin still? I mean, are you still advising taking that? No, acutely ill. I had someone today, acutely mm-hmm. ill. She's older. She's not done well with COVID. Mm-hmm. I prescribed ivermectin. I still think ivermectin has the biggest bang for the buck. I mean, it's it's rapid onset at the right dose. It, it, it can get people better more quickly than anything else. I use hydroxychloroquine, but a little slower. Paxlovid and Molnavir are really slow. Mm-hmm. But ivermectin's got that pop to it. And you know what? I prescribed it to a pharmacy. It was it was like a smaller chain pharmacy. She was convinced they were going to fill it. They didn't fill it. Wow. Hmm. So I had to switch it over to a compounding pharmacy, and they're hmm. going to do it. But ivermectin is just very handy. It's it's out of all the drugs, it's the safest drug. You know, okay. safer than Tylenol. Right. You just don't get the GI upset. Don't have problems. My mom's in a senior home, and when mom got COVID for the first time. Mm-hmm. My wife shuttled over McCullough protocol and we decided to use ivermectin because my mom's got a real sensitive stomach mm-hmm. and we we're worried about. So yeah, mom's got the McCullough protocol. And of course we can't go in and see her. So we're, we're trying to check on her, right? Oh my and, uh, and and every day there's always a little confusion about the medications. So, so at, at one point in time, I just said, mom, get the bottle of ivermectin. And then she goes, it's all gone. What? And, and so she she accidentally had a little overdose, a oh, senior no. overdose of ivermectin. But the point but it's is, safe. she's perfectly fine. It's totally safe. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that safe. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I love that. Would you use that for what people are calling long COVID? We do yeah. for some long COVID syndrome. So a common one is if there's what's called this bronchiolitis obliterans with organizing pneumonia. So a, a kind of a, a sterile pneumonia, the chest CT and chest X-ray are very abnormal. Mm-hmm. Patients are short of breath. Uh, there, we can use ivermectin now for about 90 days hmm. straight. Okay. Um, another syndrome that's ivermectin responsive are the cutaneous syndrome. So there's um, there's like a sloughing illness that people develop. Uh, and this can happen after the vaccine. They become like a, there's one man, I met him one time, he's called the snake man, where his skin is sloughing. Hmm. I've had a couple of patients come in my office where they, they walk in and literally it's like snowflakes coming off their body, their whole body. This has happened after the vaccine. It is responsive to ivermectin. It mm. works. Well, but again, go. 90 days at a full dose. You okay. know, a big man could be 60 milligrams, a middle-sized person, 48 milligrams. Uh, so we need a compounding pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And what we use is we use the ivermectin capsules, which are compounded in 12 milligram capsules. That's the way to go. Not to dink around with these little three milligram right. tablets. Right. I have those. Um, the, the bigger ones. Uh, so have any of your views radically changed from 2021? Has anything changed that you've said? The, and then biggest, the biggest change, and this happened when I went on Joe Rogan and mm-hmm. everyone made a big deal about it. Now, Joe Rogan, I set all the records, even beat you Elon did. Musk. He's yep. still envious over this. Um, <laughs> I but love it. the big change is in 2020, all the way through nearly the end of 2021, natural immunity was nearly perfect. So once you had COVID, once I had COVID, I didn't care. People can cough in my face. I couldn't get it a second time. Mm-hmm. It was that good. I advised uh, countries on this. They started to run out of masks. I said, get your COVID recovery people out there and taking care of others. And it worked. Um, but what happened in December 2021 is the Omicron strain came in and it could infect people who already had COVID and to a considerable degree. Now we understand you just get it over and over again. But the Omicron strain was a breakthrough. It also was the biggest jump in mutational status. We had gone from wild type to alpha we never really had beta uh, in the United States. That was in South Africa. Gamma was in Brazil, but we did have 
um, uh, alpha and then delta here. Mm -hmm. And then it made this big jump. And it, once it jumped from Omicron to, from delta to Omicron, this is very interesting, immediately it closed the immunologic door on delta. Delta just went away overnight when it changed to Omicron. And you know, because it was so wildly differently mutated, um, but you know, two Japanese analysis, you know what they've concluded? Mm -hmm. They include, they say that Omicron was too big of a jump. It, it couldn't have been a natural mutation. They're saying it was released from a lab. Interesting. Two papers, two Japanese papers say that, hmm. that maybe Omicron was released from the lab. In many ways, honestly, if it was, it was a gift because Omicron is so mild. It was way milder than Delta. I mean, I had patients mm -hmm. in the hospital with Delta. I see young people ravaged by it. People died with Delta. Mm -hmm. Omicron came in. It was so mild that that literally the th threats went away. A good paper to quote is one by Chin and colleagues, U.S. prison system, New England Journal of Medicine, October of 2022, 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 staff. Once people got through Delta and Omicron as the first infection, another Omicron infection, zero risk of hospitalization death, zero. So when someone says, Dr. McCullough, I have COVID, the first thing I ask them is, did you have it before? Oh, yeah, I had it before. Okay. Totally different than a brand new case. The current status is multiple studies suggest 97% of us have mm -hmm. had COVID. There's only 3% out there that are still potentially vulnerable. How much of and it was the Texas, flu? What's that? In Texas? Oh, go ahead. In Texas. Yeah, in Texas. I mean, mm -hmm. I studied this because I was testifying to this. Texas, uh, what we know there is out of all the COVID deaths, now these are grossly overcoded, but people died and, and were COVID positive, just take it at face value. The total number of COVID deaths was about 98,000 Texans, okay? Mm -hmm. Last year in 2023, which was an entire year of Omicron, number of deaths around 1,500. Hmm. Interesting. And again, so they may not have died of COVID. They could have had a hip fracture mm -hmm. or you know, end-stage Alzheimer's or something. But if they're test positive, they count. But the point is, virtually zero deaths now are really COVID deaths. Since flu went away, how do you tell the difference between COVID and flu? Well, flu is back. Initially, there was a problem with testing in 2020. What happened was the, the CDC COVID test could not distinguish between influenza and uh, uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. And so the CDC test became the standard that all the labs had to come up with what's called laboratory-derived assays, LDAs. So all the initial LDAs could not distinguish between flu and COVID, including the ones we used at, at my health system. So when people came in, and this is really sad, if somebody older came in mm -hmm. and they looked like they had the flu, we were thinking, wow, they could have COVID. And so they got a COVID test. If it was positive, it could have been the flu, but they were labeled as COVID, and sadly, they were given remdesivir and put in the hospital and quarantines and stuff. So the only way to sort it out would be to test COVID and the flu at the same time, and that basically wasn't done in 2020. There's very few flu tests even used. So we learned from that, the companies made better and better COVID tests, which test only for COVID, like Roche and Abbott and, mm -hmm. and what have you. So, so the modern COVID tests are fine, but the point is we should always test for flu at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, a recent paper by 1040 on flu suggests that of all the hospital admissions for upper respiratory and pneumonia, only about 15% are flu, hmm. only 15%. The chances of any adult getting any influenza at any time is way less than 1%. So I personally, mm -hmm. I took 40 flu shots in my career because I had to as a medical student or be mm -hmm. on staff and 
they would threaten to take away my staff privileges. And it was just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was too much of a fight to try to get an exemption. Turns out my whole life, I've never even had a flu test. I've never even had a flu test. The last couple of years, I said, forget it. I'm taking exemptions. I don't take any more shots. Still don't have any flu tests. I don't know about you. Have you ever had a test for flu? I've never have. Right. So why would you take a vaccine every year mm-hmm. for something you don't you don't even test for? Uh, right. Let me give you another example. Do you know everybody over 60? You know, I can tell you're way younger than 60, but I'm over. And let me tell you what. Do you know what we're supposed to take? We're supposed to take an RSV vaccine. Now, I've never even right. <laughs> thought about RSV in an adult. I've never had an RSV test. Why would I suddenly start taking an RSV vaccine? So these are examples of how the vaccine industry has gone out of control. Yeah. Absolutely. And calling them vaccines when there's something, aren't they, aren't, they're very different than a vaccine. And the FDA pamphlet, it even said the COVID test had no COVID in it because there was a question and answer. It said, is there COVID in this test? There was no COVID in it. So how do they test for COVID with no COVID in the test? Well, the, the tests, are, they have what's called PCR, preliminary mm-hmm. chain reaction test. Mm-hmm. And they're just testing for four different little samples mm-hmm. of the genetic code. So what's called primers. So they look for a little sample of the envelope protein, a little sample of the nucleocapsid, a little sample of the spike protein, and like mm-hmm. a fourth sample for um, uh, for what's called an origin of um, of, uh, of of replication, I believe, or origin of assertion. But um, the the point is, they're not sequencing the entire virus. Now the CDC sequences the entire virus, so the CDC labs. The bottom line is PCR gives you a rough idea. You know, is it there? If there's four mm-hmm. four different spots, it's probably there. The antigen tests are largely antigen tests uh, that are testing for you, you know the the virus basically the spike protein. So uh, um, I've always been a fan of just doing both since the tests are so abundant now. If someone, t- quote, tests positive for COVID with PCR, why don't we just confirm it with the antigen test? Mm-hmm. And the PCR tests, the manufacturers never listened to the CDC. The, the CDC said don't run above cycle thresholds of 28. Otherwise, we keep spending the test. We're going to get false positives. The manufacturers took the took the th- cycle thresholds up to 45, and they didn't listen. Mm-hmm. So if we just would have been disciplined on the PCR and had confirmatory testing, so PCR and antigen, just like we do with HIV. We just mm-hmm. don't do the HIV ELISA test. We do HIV plus viral load. We, we would have, if we had confirmatory testing, we would have had far fewer cases, but we could focus on the sick patients. Mm. A person asked uh, from the audience, uh, long-term, uh, long-term damage, what kind of long-term damage uh, having COVID does to an asthmatic's lungs? Are you seeing problems with asthmatics? I've seen lung function go down. I had a patient like that today. I think asthma, COPD, mm-hmm. there can be a loss of lung volumes. Uh, it can get far worse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this patient, you know what I sent her for is hyperbaric oxygen treatment. Excellent. That helps you know, a lot. Hyperbaric, I think, can improve these pulmonary conditions. We have enough experience with mm-hmm. this. I am worried about I have adult asthma myself. I've had COVID three times. I didn't take the shots. My lungs are not the same. Mm. Yeah, I do too, actually. Um, okay, so as far as the the CDC or the HHS, have they come out with anything regarding the truth on these shots? Have they told the truth in any way? Have you seen anything come from them? There haven't. You know, they've laid out the data, mm-hmm. but they won't comment on it. So, for instance, our CDC, you know, on mm-hmm. their website, you go to the VARES and type in COVID vaccine death, and you'll come thousand Americans mm-hmm. who've died after the vaccine. And you can look at the plots if you go to openvares, 
Uh.com and just look at the plots. About 1150 of those deaths are on the same day people take the shots. Sometimes in the vaccine center a few hours later, another 1200 of those deaths are the next day. Wow. So it's very rapid that these deaths occur mm-hmm. and they're grossly underreported. If you don't have the vaccine card, mm-hmm. you can't make the report for your loved one. And, you know, doctors in general and paramedics do the reporting and nursing administrators. So it's 30 fold underreported according to the FDA testimony. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at 550,000 Americans that have died of the shot. And nobody from HHS or the FDA or the CDC or two presidential administrations will come out and say, wow, we've got a problem. No 550,000 Americans have died of these shots. That's more than, you know, the Civil War. Jeez. And we have candidates running for president that won't recognize this. Yeah. You, you know, you we can, read, you can see what's going on here. This is... How many more people are going to die mm-hmm. before our governments? And it's interesting. No government in the world has recognized this openly. Yeah. Public. No president or premier in the world has recognized this. No church leader has recognized this. No public health office has, rec- has recognized no, this. They no won't come out. No corporate CEO has recognized this. Right. All the people yeah, that Of our major, it. like, say, Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. So you can see how, wait a minute, how many more people will die before there'll be a recognition of this. It's really an astounding observation. Yeah, no analysis whatsoever. Is there any lawsuits, any class action lawsuits right now? Well, there's a lot of big lawsuits. One to note is uh, Ken Paxton, attorney general of Texas, is suing Pfizer Mm -hmm. uh, according to the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Practices Act. You know, Pfizer Mm -hmm. not honestly, you know, presenting the risks and benefits of their vaccine. So we'll see how far that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple other lawsuits. There's a notable lawsuit uh, for a inpatient COVID death. The plaintiff is Scott Shara, the father of Grace Shara in I've interviewed uh, Wisconsin. That, mm-hmm. That's going to go to a full jury trial. Uh, you know, many other, you know, actions. You, you can tell the vaccines are safe because there's so much legal action going on all over. Yeah. How much of the hospitals, when we say standard of care, how much is being done now by the government um, and by lawyers um, stepping up on their uh, protocols that they give? Are the doctors allowed to be doctors, in other words? Or are, is standard of care now what the lawyers and the administrations and the government write for a patient? Standard of care is the base minimum National Institutes of Health mm-hmm. Infectious Disease Society of America protocol. So no hospital has been able to come up with something better than this base protocol. I think Harvard or Mayo Clinic would just have, you know, they, they mm-hmm. would they would brand it, they would market it, they would say, listen, we've got the best COVID protocol in the world, we save more lives. There's no hospital claiming to be a COVID center of excellence. There was only one hospital in Houston, uh, United Memorial Hospital, notable, where they had an incredible survival rate. They featured ivermectin, mm-hmm. you know, virtually everybody survived. Guess what happened? Medicare shut them down. I believe it. No, I do. I have I've got personal personal uh, testimony of this, so I absolutely believe that. Um, what about shedding? Did you want to comment on shedding? I've interviewed Helene Benoon. Check out my Substack Courageous Discourse. She's mm-hmm. the world's expert on shedding. Probably occurs mother to baby through breastfeeding. That's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Probably occurs vaccinated woman to unvaccinated woman. And and disturbs menstrual periods. I think that one's strong enough. Maybe that comes through the air, exosomes. Mm-hmm. We're not sure. Sexual contact, kissing, blood transfusions. It's never been proven. Right. So right. we don't know. And fetuses, um, a lot of miscarriages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the paper to follow there is Thorpe and colleagues. 
vaccines, com- uh, COVID vaccines compared to influenza, fair comparator. Uh, for sure, uh, rela- uh, the vaccines cause miscarriages. They cause stillbirths and then uh, late-term deaths. The thing to look for is the fetal and maternal bleeding. Mm. Look at the rates of transfusions in pregnant women. Look at the rates of iron infusions after delivery. We've never had to see this before. Babies with hemorrhagic complications. And then also look at maternal mortality. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. A a U.S. Center for Health Statistics report by Mm -hmm. Hoyert and colleagues reporting record maternal mortality. They counted death during pregnancy and then death 42 days after delivery starting in 2021. And it's been horrific. It's, it's wiped out four decades mm-hmm. of progress in modern obstetrics. And, uh, you know, in, in the in the Hoyer report, it corresponds with probably about two-thirds of pregnant women taking a shot during pregnancy or before pregnancy. Jeez. Last question. What what are you doing to protect yourself from something else um, they could drop, uh, whether this is something they could drop or not on us? Um, what do you think's coming um, will there be a rerun of this? Are they trying for something different? Um, today they were, you know, shocking about measles. So wh- wh- what do you think is coming? Will they use this in a different way? We've seen way too much uh, telegraphing of, t- of uh, disease X. I know there was a ton of telegraphing on COVID and none of us were paying attention. Mm-hmm. Well, we're paying attention to disease X. It's probably going to be another virus from a bio lab, just like COVID, mm-hmm. uh, infectious respiratory virus. I mean, there are just bio labs all over, gain of function research going on all over. Uh, disease X written about by Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance. He says he has a library of coronaviruses. Um, you know, World Economic Forum has a whole session on this. We're WHO. Everyone's messaging on disease X. So why wouldn't we think during an election year, at least in the United States, there'll be disease X. We should mm-hmm. be prepared. I think everybody should lose weight, get fit, um, you know, get better diets, get, get in better shape to survive uh, an illness. And the best thing we can do right now, and I advise the company as the chief scientific officer, a wellness company, I advise people get a medical emergency kit uh, and be ready. I agree. You know, medical emergency kits could handle, uh, you know, an anthrax wave could at least handle the secondary pneumonias of, uh, you know, of, of a novel mm-hmm. virus. And uh, if people go to twc.health, use the promo code COURAGE to get a free membership. That's off me. And I think the best discount, honestly, is is Out Loud. And that's from America Out Loud uh, News. I just did a show with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the deepest discount. But you can get this price way down on these. And uh, you sign up for it. You get the kit. It comes with a user guide, and it uh, the, it comes with a telemedicine consult if you need help on this. And it's handy for other things. You know, a woman gets a bladder infection mm-hmm. or a yeast infection, or you, you get a you just get a bronchitis. Instead of going to urgent care or ER and paying a huge copay or out of your deductible, you already have your kit. You got a doctor on backup. So wellness company twc.health promo codes courage and then out loud. It's it's very it. affordable, honestly. I've been telling people about you off air <laughs> too and because even probably clinic visit. I've been telling people about you off air because I love that model of being able to have those telemedicine visits and I also love it that you can get those uh those supplements the ones coming from that that work the one cuz everyone has a, a mm-hmm. drawer full of supplements mm-hmm. but you want the ones that are going to be potent and work and I absolutely love your site for that. I think you've done a heck of a job in presenting that uh these options for people so they know like a hub so they know where to go. I like that. Yeah, it's true. You know, yeah. most popular supplements, spike support by a mile. It's probably the highest quality natokinase out there. It's all U.S. source. Mm-hmm. has five minor ingredients. 
And and I was I was asked on a challenge, well, why is black sativa in there or mm -hmm. Irish sea moss? Or yeah. and it turns out these all have scientific data supporting that they uh, kind of combat SARS-CoV-2 and the spike protein. So spike support we actually use for. Uh, detoxification, people who've had the vaccine or multiple rounds of COVID, but it actually is kind of preventive against COVID itself. Um, it, and it, very few side effects. If someone has a soy allergy, we'll see a rash. Someone on blood thinners or, mm -hmm. you know, a blood thinning genetic problem, we may see some bleeding, but, you know, I've, you know I'm taking it myself. Right. Uh, zero side effects. The main thing on spike support is be sure you take it in between meals. Do not take mm -hmm. it with a meal. You're going to we wipe out the benefit of the drugs. So I wake up in the good middle of the night and I, you know, my stomach's empty. That's a good time to take yeah. it and let it work. Uh, it does take a long time. We have thousands of patients now under observation and I can tell you for the average, you know, ringing in the ears, numbness and tingling, brain fog, and some of these, uh, post COVID vaccine syndromes, we're looking at three, six, nine months, serious blood clots, myocarditis, uh, you know, really serious things. We're telling people, listen, plan on 12 months or longer. Wow. Get your immune system up is your message. Yeah. Get your immune system up. Yeah. I love your site. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter McCullough, for spending some time with me today. Thank, Thank you. you. A lot of Thank fun. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.